What's going on, folks? Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over UFC Vegas 48, headlined by a light heavyweight scrap, uh, somewhat of a short notice light heavyweight scrap here, at least for the five round side of things. We got Johnny Walker going up against Jamal Hill. Uh, as most of you guys know, Rafael Fazia versus Rafael Dos Anjos was originally scheduled to headline this card. Unfortunately, I believe there's visa issues on the Fizzy side of things. And now we got, uh, with, they pushed that fight back. Thank God it's still going to be five rounds. They pushed it back to UFC 272, which, let's be honest, needed a little bit of bolstering either way. Uh, so I didn't mind that one getting pushed back. Mediocre card that we got coming up here, but hopefully there are some uh, entertaining fights. Uh, after finishing up the tape earlier today or a couple hours ago, I should say, not many bright betting opportunities I see for this card. So it's going to be quite uh, a light card for me in terms of betting once uh, you know I, I see where all the line movement goes. But for most of it, you know, I don't. I don't really feel intrigued to pull, uh, even put a lock of the night on this card. Um, I, I will more than likely be skipping out on a four or five unit play for this card, but uh, a couple of spots that I'll likely be sprinkling. Uh, so hopefully we can still come back with some profit this weekend. Uh, so for the audio listeners, you guys aren't really going to notice this, but this is actually a live show. Um, it was started getting a little bit behind on a little bit of the tape and the work that I wanted to do. So instead of releasing this in, in bits and pieces with uh, every single breakdown, I'm going to be doing it all in one shot. And uh, yeah, it, it's kind of like the good old days doing it this way as well. I will say for the video listeners, everybody that's in the live chat right now, appreciate you guys hanging with me pretty much at midnight now um, for this podcast. Unfortunately, just out of respect for the audio listeners and people watching this on the replay, I'm going to get through this as smooth and crisp as possible. Uh, pretty much, I won't be taking too many questions or comments, so I apologize for that. I hope you guys enjoy uh, the show. Otherwise, you guys are always welcome to get your comments and suggestions heard on the other streams that I do, the propping you up that I'm going to be doing on Thursday um ultimate Wayne show on friday and then obviously the fight day live chat on saturday and then not to mention last thing uh the ig live the new ig live um that i be that i'm doing every friday nights before the ufc events 7 p.m eastern where i talk to you guys face to face you guys hop on ig live with me and we uh talk about whatever your favorite bets are for that card so i truly appreciate that so again apologies to anybody that wants to get their comment read on the stream that's not what we're going to be doing here we're just going to run through um we're going to run through uh the card as best as possible here without too many uh disruptions all right so as we normally do on every lawcast episode we go over the last event winning losing doesn't really matter but that's exactly what we're going to be doing and it was a losing night for your boy unfortunately minus 6.56 units on uh ufc 271 so let's go through every single bet uh pretty briefly here to go over what my thought was and what or how we ended up transpiring let's start off with the lock of the night play i had four units on sergey morozov at minus 208 uh great boxing as we saw in that first round i wanted him to go for his wrestling a little bit sooner than he did but 
had some massive success with the striking. Happy with that. Uh, hurt him a couple times. And then after he hurt Douglas a couple times, he dragged him to the ground uh, and then, you know, really didn't follow up on trying to finish him, which was kind of shitty. He should have let him back to his feet and then let his hands go. But then he fell a little bit too much in love with the striking in the second round and ultimately paid for it. Uh, and Douglas was able to get out of, get him out of there. Talk about a veteran performance from Douglas Silva de Andrade to absolutely destroy our lock of the night play there. Uh, hand in hand with my lock of the night play, I also had four units on Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. Uh, three units at minus 167, one unit at minus 155. Hell, the line even got down to around minus 140, minus 138 on fight day a couple hours before the actual uh, card kicked off. Shout out to anybody that got in on him nice and early there, but he should have been my lock of the night play. Obviously, hindsight is always 2020, but um. It went down pretty much how I expected it to outside of Derek Brunson rocking him in that uh, near the ending of that first round. Luckily, Jared Cannonier has a, a hellacious chin and he's able to take those kind of shots and then eventually was able to come back in that second round and find that knockout blow, which I expected him to at a certain point in that second round. Uh, for anybody that tuned into propping you up last week, you guys know that um, Cody, uh, shout out to Cody Saftik, he actually put out uh, one of his favorite props was uh, the second round KO plus 600 for Jared Cannonier that night. Hopefully some people were able to tell that. Uh, next up, I had my dog of the night play, two units on Jared Vendor at plus 140. Did not go our way. Um I believe he got him into the positions that he needed to. He was cutting off the cage well. He was moving well. He just wasn't throwing until the third round, which is the only round that he ended up winning that night. However, if he was able to let his hands go a little bit more, like we've seen from him in the past, uh, you know, if he started to do it earlier, I think he could have easily won that fight. But there was plenty of stalemate-ish moments there where, you know, Vandera had him up against or had him close to the uh, the cage, was pretty much just waiting for his moment to pop. And then Arlovsky was the one that actually ended up throwing the shot and then pivoting out of those bad positions and then winning those small little scenarios. He's just winning by inches uh, in those spots. But Still ended up winning, so uh, that's minus two units on the dog of the night play there. I had a couple violence bets. Uh, the Ronnie Lawrence versus Monty Martinez one. One unit at plus 155 on the under two and a half. Ronnie Lawrence drops him three times, I believe, in the second round alone. We got a drop in the, or sorry, knockdown in the third round as well. Still don't end up cashing that under. Again, I don't regret it because it was a plus 155 shot and the openings were there for the finish, but we ultimately don't end up getting to cash it. The one that seemed like a trap was the gun under, was the other under, which was AJ Dobson versus Jacob Malkoon. I had one and a half units at minus 144. Uh, yeah, uh, Dobson's grappling defense a lot better than I expected it to be, uh, at least in terms of stopping Malkoon for getting him out of there. Uh, and I was kind of expecting Malkoon to get his grappling started even in that first round, but Dobson did a good job of uh, really nullifying that, but he just was not able to keep that up for the remainder of the fight, and Malkoon uh, pretty much just grinded him out for the last 10 minutes there. So minus 1.5 units there. And then lastly, at a half unit shot on Robert Whitaker uh, at plus 225. Fight played out closer than I, you know, than most people expected it to be. There's a lot of people adamantly on the Israel Adesanya side saying that Adesanya deserved that regardless. Um, but I thought I thought there was a solid case for Robert Whitaker rounds two, four, and five. Again, commentary was very biased, in my opinion. If you guys go back and watch those rounds, I thought they were very close, very debatable. 
Either way, not a robbery. 48-47, in my opinion, was the correct scorecard for either side. So shout out to anybody that cashed in on um, anybody that was able to cash in on uh, Israel Adesanya there as the favorite. Hopefully, Robert Whitaker ends up getting another crack uh, sometime down the road, but he's going to have to string together another win streak just like he did last time to earn himself another shot at Israel Adesanya. So, again, all in all, minus 6.56 units. Not a good uh, not a good start to the year. Uh, I cashed on the first event, but then since then we've had three straight losing events, even though I cashed my lock of the night play on the last event, which was Sean Strickland. That's not what matters. It's the event that most recently happened and the one that's about to happen. And hopefully the one that's about to happen is the one that we end up cash. A couple quick plugs before we get into the actual breakdowns here. Patreon, five bucks a month. Link in the description below. Um, again, I was supposed to drop the early uh, breakdowns for the folks. The best bets and props article have been has been up for a couple of days. Uh, I've completed that earlier today. Um, pay-per-view parlay for the patrons, a great Discord community, uh, prize picks tips. There's so much content that I put up on the Patreon. Again, it's only five bucks a month. Uh, so if you want to support your boy, that's the best way in doing so. Shout out to anybody that dropped a super chat already as well. Trust me, I greatly appreciate that. I see that as well. Love you guys. All right. Uh, and lastly, uh, one of the best sponsors that I got here, Coolbet. Use promo code MMALOTN2. That's the number two, as you guys see it on the screen there. Uh, they'll match your initial deposit up to 100%, up to 100 bucks. So make sure you guys go check them out. Uh, you can parlay props. They have great pro uh, odds as well. Sometimes they're a little bit slow with moving lines, so you might be able to attack some uh, some lines that may have started moving on other uh, websites. So that's another advantage you guys can get over there on Coolbet. And again, something that a lot of the degenerates like, they like parlaying props, and that's something that I like to do a lot on Coolbet as well. All right, let me uh, take a swig of water here, and we're going to get right down into the breakdowns. Shout out to the 33 live viewers that we currently have on the live stream here at midnight. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys drop that like and subscribe below. All right, let's get into the fights here. First up, we got uh, Jesse Strader going up against Chad and Helliger. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 255 on the Canadian and plus 205 the return on Strader. Now, this is one of those spots where I feel like the line is just a little bit too wide to begin with, right? And Heldrick came into his uh, Dana White Contender Series fight as a pretty hefty dog himself. Very close fight, 1-1 going into that third round. And luckily, he was able to pull it off, uh, having it a little bit more in the tank to go out there and out-volume and outwork. work uh, Muin Gafarov, I believe the kid's name was. But I feel like Jesse Strader, on the other hand, is falling into that Zaruk Adeshev and Parker Porter syndrome thing where they got finished pretty easily in their first fight and people are just ultimately writing them off now, thinking that's exactly what's going to happen every time they step into the cage. Obviously, Adeshev and Porter have been able to prove people wrong as big underdogs in their past fights, uh, and Strader has a chance to do it here. He has some pretty good Muay Thai, throws in combinations, really likes to work the body, but throws everything and the kitchen sink into his shots. And Helliger on the other side seems to like to work in combinations as well. He uses his lead hand to kind of just gauge his distance, and then he really starts to do his best work with his right straight down the middle. 
but I'm expecting this fight to pretty much play out as a firefight. I'm expecting both guys to throw down. If there's anybody that engages in the grappling here, I do think it's going to be the straighter side of things as uh, we have seen him actually go for takedowns in the past, not to the most effective uh, uh limits you know what i mean i think uh he he leaves a lot to be desired in terms of being able to maintain top control uh and even when he hurts his opponent sometimes he goes for the takedown which i wouldn't really advise in certain situations but the guy can crack and that's something that we definitely have to respect here uh the the spot that i'm looking at under two and a half that's currently sitting around minus 135 but i'm expecting both guys to throw with absolute heat in in this fight and helger has talked about in certain interviews that he's looking to make straighter work early here and then eventually put him away late uh some statistics for you guys to kind of chew on in terms of as to why i like the under two and a half here six out of the seven fights on straighter's record have gone uh, or sorry, have finished inside the distance. On the flip side with Einhelliger, 14 out of his 16 fights have finished inside the distance. Now Einhelliger, again, he was a pretty hefty dog coming into his Dana White Contender Series fight, and now all of a sudden he's a big favorite over a guy that got finished quickly in his UFC debut. This fight will absolutely play out closer than the odds suggest. I personally have Einhelliger around 60% in this fight, but I still think he gets it done, as I do think he's a slightly crisper striker, the more disciplined guy as well. Straighter at times will wade a little bit too much to the body and leaves himself open to get clipped. And I think Helger will do a good job in terms of uh, finding that spot. I've seen a couple of guys that I respect on the straighter side, and I completely get it. The line is off. But rather than taking the chalk on the Helger side, I'm going to be taking the under two and a half here once limits start to open up on the websites that I have access to. So official prediction here is going to be Ann Hellinger, and I think he gets it done probably by second round TKO after he catches straighter with something in the spot. All right, let's keep this thing moving along here. Again, shout out to everybody in the chat. I appreciate everybody stopping by. Um, I'm just going to try to get through this as best as possible. As you guys can tell, my voice is feeling it for some reason. Not entirely sure why. It kind of hurts to talk right now, but for you guys i'll get through it as well luckily one of the fights i actually have pre-recorded so i'll be able to take a little bit of a breath but that's not to the park reporter and alan baudo fight which is a little bit later in the car so let's in the card so let's keep this thing moving along next up we got a women's uh i believe this is a straw weight fight let me just quickly confirm that uh yeah sorry yeah women's straw weight fight here uh minus 110 on both sides between diana belbita and gloria de paula uh interesting to note here that uh diana belbita actually opened up as a minus 260 favorite and the line has steadily come in uh as a ton of love has started to come in on gloria de paula and i completely understand that uh on paper this seems like it's going to be a close fight right both men um mainly strikers they like to go out there put their strikes together and try to break their opponents in that aspect uh unfortunately some of them have had to face grapplers in the past which is why they've been coming up short in most of their ufc fights uh belbita obviously got ragdolled by molly mccann for a couple of rounds uh the next fight uh, i believe she Showed some poor fight IQ, uh, absolutely letting up Liana Joju on the feet, then decides to take it to the ground and then gets womaned, armbarred from card. Uh, not a good look from Balbita there, but she turned that around in her next fight against Hannah Goldie, where she was able to absolutely touch up Goldie from the outside. She had a three-inch height and seven-inch reach advantage in that fight, which truly aided her in being successful in that fight. 
Now in this fight against Apollo, she's going to have a two-inch height advantage, but only a one-inch reach advantage. And I think I'll be, and I don't think she'll have as much success as she did in the Hannah Goldie fight. The the again, the concern for both of these women has been the grappling. If there's any either of these women that look to engage in the grappling, I think they'll find success. And I think that one the one that will look to grapple if it gets to that point is going to be Gloria. Um, obviously, we know she's a significant other of Mara Bueno Sova, and I'm not saying that just because she's a significant other of her that her jiu-jitsu skills are going to rub off on Paula. but I absolutely believe that they see that as an opening for them to take this fight to the ground and try to find a victory that way as well. Bobita, she trains out of a House of Champions up here in uh, the southern Ontario region in Canada, but they don't really have anybody that's a huge standout in terms of the grappling realm that will allow Bobita to get out of those bad positions. She showed some good uh, grappling defense uh, against Hannah Goldie at certain times, showing some good takedown defense. But there was one very skeptical moment at the ending of that fight where she found herself in full uh, full mount uh, with Goldie on top of her and Goldie just raining down blows. Unfortunately for Goldie, it was a little bit too late for her, and Belbito was still able to pick up the decision victory that night, but still gives you some question marks in terms of if anybody wants to go out there and grapple Belbito, they might have some success. But even if this turns out to be a striking battle, which I kind of hope it does because it could give us a, a pretty entertaining fight, I do think that DePaulo will be the slightly more disciplined fighter here. Babita likes to go balls to the wall at times, and she was able to get away with it on the Romanian regional scene. But as she starts to take a steps up in competition, I think she's going to struggle with that a little bit more. Like I said, I thought she was successful in the Goldie fight because she was able to maintain that range and uh, have success by hitting a little bit harder. But I think that DePaulo will be the one uh, throwing in better combinations. Uh, will be the one with the tighter, crisper shots down the middle uh, and, and will be disciplined in the spot and even attack with leg kicks, which I think will start to slow down Belbita as the fight starts to go on here. So uh, again, it, for me, it's a coin flip fight. I slightly lean on the DePaulo side, probably like 55%, just because I believe that she'll be able to land the better shots. But if Elbita is able to match her volume and even out-volume her, that could make it sticky for DePaulo in terms of being able to get her hand raised. She's going to have to land the better shots. She's going to have to counter effectively here. And again, if she kicks uh, consistently here, that could also help her win this fight optically as well on the judges' scorecards if it does go the full 15 minutes. So I leaned Apollo here. I completely understand why the line came in as much as it did. And I know DePaulo was my lock of the night fade last time around where I was able to cash on uh, Shane Vlismus. Uh, but again, that was a very uh, different stylistic matchup. Vlismus was looking to get that fight to the ground, which we, she was able to. And although she was not able to maintain that top control, she did obviously land that big kick as DePaulo was starting to stand up and she was able to get the knockout there. I'm not understanding why i i saw uh shout out to my guy prodigy mma who normally puts up the uh the implied odds based on topology um scoring or or voting and i believe it was only nine percent of folks that believe that uh, depaulo was going to win the fight uh doesn't make any sense to me really does not it's but then again now it's kind of understood that topology voting is more so like a, a popularity contest than anything because some of these odds are just out of whack and this was definitely one of them i do like the depaulo side here uh no bet for me unless we get her back to solid plus money um 
like I said, I do favor her ever so slightly, which would mean, you know, I should take her at this pick a mod or at these pick a mods, but something's just keeping me back at this moment in time. But I will pick uh, DePaula to win this fight. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Chas Skelly going up against Mark Striegel. Uh, in terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 200 for Skelly, plus 170 the return on Mark Striegel. Now, Skelly, man, the guy has been hit with a ton of unfortunate cancellations. I believe uh, there's been about five of them. Oh, sorry, four fights that have fallen through since September 2019 for Skelly. Two of them he was forced to pull out of. One of them was actually the Jamal Emmers fight, where Jamal Emmers actually suffered from back spasms uh, minutes before he was actually supposed to make the walk. And that fight ultimately ended up getting canceled. But Skelly has had to deal with numerous surgeries, numerous injuries. He's had a long layoff, and not to mention, apparently he's talking about retiring after this fight, which is never really a good look. I'm not sure if that's due to his injuries or the fact that he just can't get consistent fights, especially considering that he's not probably not on the greatest fighter pay scale at the moment. The guy's got to pick up another job uh, to, to just survive pretty much. Hopefully, knock on wood, he doesn't have to uh, pull out of this fight upcoming here against Mark Striegel because it should be a fun one. Both guys are grapple, uh, grappling-based fighters. Skelly, I think, is a little bit better in terms of scrambling, so I do believe that he'll likely get the better of most of these exchanges, but the injury and layoff and everything I just laid out earlier um, plays into it a little bit. You know, it, it makes me a little bit more self-conscious about actually uh, making a bet on Skelly at the spot, especially at minus 200. Mark Striegel, on the other hand, obviously fell short in his UFC debut against Saeed Ramagomedov came in as a pretty hefty underdog there uh, and ultimately fell to the power of Saeed that night. And he was scheduled to fight, uh, I believe, back in April. Unfortunately, he had to pull out. And now since then, apparently he's been healthy, ready to go. And he's even changed his training camp to go down there to Arizona and work with the MMA lab, Benson Henderson, John Crouch, and those guys. So I'm interested to see how they're able to help Strigo's game out. Like I said at the top of the breakdown here, both guys are grapple-heavy based fighters, and I think that Striegel's strength advantage here will likely only help him for a little bit. Unless he gets Skelly out of there, which I think is going to be very difficult for him to do, I think Striegel will start to slow down as the fight starts to go on, and I think Skelly will start to take over, winning the scrambles, winning the grappling exchanges, and then eventually finding himself on top. There's a couple spots that I've been looking at here, uh, props-wise, uh, which I'm still waiting for them to drop, but Skelly round three, always intriguing to me for that round three prop, especially, especially a guy in Striegel who's shown to absolutely slow down later in fights, most notably the recent McLaren fight, uh, and then Skelly by decision at plus 230 as well is something that intrigues me. The over two and a half is currently at minus 115, but again, the Striegel gas tank worries me too much that Skelly could potentially get him out of there later in this fight. Um, yeah, I, I like Skelly here. Too many out-of-cage uh, factors here that are kind of keeping me off of him, but I still think that he goes out there and gets his hand raised. I'm going to call it third-round TKO as he just beats Striegel uh, to each position and then eventually finds a finish near the ending of this fight, second or third round in this spot. So, uh, yeah, we'll go with Skelly, um, and I think that's him riding off into the sunset with a W in his MMA career. 
All right, let's keep this train moving along. Let's uh, get, I knew there was going to be some, uh, some trolls popping in here. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Clark. Jessica Rose Clark going up against uh, Stephanie Egger. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 190 for Clark, plus 160 the return for Egger. Now, this seems to be a grappling-based fight as well, right? You got Clark in her last two fights who's been going out there and just trying to grind her opponents into the ground. Obviously, she had tremendous success against Alpar, eventually getting her out of there in the third round. Uh, and then in the Edwards fight, it seemed like she struggled in terms of holding her down. But I think the difference between Alpar and Edwards was that Edwards was actually working off her back. She was trying to throw up submissions. She was trying to pull off reversals, trying to get back to her feet, whereas Alpar was really struggling to get anything going off of her back. Egger... Uh, black belt in uh, judo. Uh, I believe she uh, medaled at the Olympics as well. Uh, we saw her judo on full display in her last fight against Shanna Young. She was able to hit uh, judo throws, uh, eventually find herself in very good position on top and was able to... Um, uh, was able to find some success uh, really just with her ground and pound from on top and then eventually getting Shanna Young out of there in the second round. She struggled in her UFC debut, obviously against um, uh, uh, Tracy Cortez, who will likely be looking to employ, or sorry, will... Sorry, Jessica Rose Clark will likely be looking to employ what Tracy Cortez was successful with, but I think that Cortez is a much better wrestler and grappler than what Clark brings to the table. Yeah, she's getting stronger. She's really trying to fill out this 135-pound frame, but Edgar's a big woman in her own right. She's very strong as well, and I do think she could actually uh, take advantage of these desperation takedowns that could be coming from Clark later on in this fight. Clark may have a slight advantage in terms of the striking, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's hugely detrimental to Edgar here. I think Edgar, if she wants, she could clinch up with Clark and manage to get this fight to the ground if she needs to, which is why this line is a little bit puzzling to me. Uh, I think there's value on Edgar as the underdog here at plus 160, as I do think that she will, uh, again, uh, land takedowns when she needs to. Her striking is slowly coming together. Um, but... I do like uh, Edgar in the spot. Um, I'm not sold on Clark. Yeah, you can beat Sarah Alpar. Yeah, you can beat Jocelyn Edwards. But she's beating Edwards literally just by holding her down. I'd be surprised, excuse me, if she's able to hold down Edgar's, uh, Edgar as effectively as she was able to hold down Edwards. And then I think that's going to cause Clark to start slowing down because she's using so much energy to hold a girl like her gear down or even trying to get her to the floor. Again, I could be completely wrong in Clark's approach here. She may look to go out there and actually um, try to um, and strike with Tiger. But again, I just don't think it's too big of an advantage to justify a minus 190 price tag. So I'll see as the fight week starts to go on. If Egger becomes a bigger underdog, I might look to better here. I even have Egger, sorry, I have this fight closer to a 50-50 than anything, which should, you know, uh, say that I should go out there and make a bet on Edgar in this situation, considering that uh, she's out. Uh, she's at plus one sixty. 
I might have to make a play on her. Oh, we'll see. We'll see where the line goes. It just seems like there's just a unanimous love for uh, Jessica Rose Clark out there because she's, you know, she's going up against the more experienced women. She has a better strength of schedule. But this is the third fight for Edgar inside the UFC. And, you know, growing up in that Switzerland, uh, Scandinavian region, there's not many uh, regional promotions for her to go out there against quality opponents. So we can't really, you know, um, hate on her too much for not having a great strength of schedule. Now she's getting the opportunity to do so. And I think Clark fits between Tracy Cortez and, um, and Jocelyn Edwards, or sorry, uh, Tracy Cortez and Shanna Young. And I think Edgar has the chops to go out there and actually get the W here. So uh, I'm going Edgar. Uh, another spot that I did in mine was the over in the spot, which is currently minus 190, minus 200. I think this will play out like a, a grappling fight. I don't think that, um, you know, if Tracy Cortez was not able to get Edgar out of there, I doubt Clark will. And uh, I think Clark is quite durable. I think she'll find herself safe in certain situations. But I do think that Edgar will get the better of those uh, scenarios more than likely um, with takedowns uh, and just maybe being the stronger woman. So, yeah, I'm going to Edgar. Uh, Edgar via decision. Don't understand why the line is so wide. I get why Clark is the favorite. I just don't think it should be this wide. So I'm going Edgar as the underdog here. <clears throat> All right, next up, we got Gabriel Benitez versus, um, why can't I remember? <clears throat> why can't I remember what, what uh, Onama's first name is? David Onama. There we go. <clears throat> yeah, minus 145 on Onama, plus 125 the return on Gabriel Benitez. In terms of the opener here, Onamo actually opened up as a slight underdog at plus 105, and then Steady Love has been coming in on him, even pushing him as high as minus 160 at certain spots, but now he's down to around that minus 135 range. Now, I know David Onama actually likes, or, or sorry, David Onama had a pretty close fight against Mason Jones as a very big underdog in that fight, in a fight that he came in on relatively short notice with, but I think people are overreacting to that performance a little bit too much. I get it. Um, he he was a plus four hundred dog, plus four hundred underdog in that fight, and he was able to touch uh, Mason Jones a lot. He made it look closer than minus four hundred or minus five hundred for Mason Jones, but that's Mason Jones' style. Like if you go back and watch his Cage Warriors fights or any of his fights. He was getting touched up in every single one of those fights. Like that, that's just his style. He's hard nosed. He he moves forward. He takes some shots. He has an iron chin, which is why he was able to take those shots, but he still was able to rely on his wrestling to get the fight to the ground when he needed to against Onama and grind him out that way. But Benitez is a legitimate striker, man. Great southpaw with a great body kick, great inside leg kick as well. Had his moments of success against much better strikers like Sadiq Yusuf uh, and, and even fighters in the um, names that are kind of escaping me at the moment. But he is way more battle-tested than Onama has been on, on the regional scene. And the interesting part about Onama on the regional scene is the fact that he was the hometown boy in every single fight. Uh, KFC or KAFC, I believe it was, um, 
or KCFC, whatever it's called, Kansas City Fighting Championships, and then FAC as well. He was on every one of those cards. Sketchy competition, even his last fight before coming to the UFC. 37-year-old, 5-and-1 guy. They're very sketchy, right? A lot of these guys seemed intimidated going in there with him as well, right? Uh, that's another very interesting thing that a lot of people are, seem to be overlooking here. But now that he has somewhat of a close fight against a very hittable guy in Mason Jones, he should automatically be the favorite against a guy like Gabriel Benitez, who's been the, in there with absolute killers in the past. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I get it. Benitez has been finished, I believe, three times now via KO in his UFC career, most recently by uh, Billy Q, who not many people can replicate what Billy Q brings to the table. That's the difference, right? Billy just pushes and pushes and pushes and eventually breaks his opponents. But Onama doesn't fight like that. More often than not, Onama likes to kind of not be, I guess discipline is the right word, but he's not a crazy output kind of guy. He waits for his spots and tries to capitalize from there. But, you know, at certain times he starts to get a little bit sloppy with his technique and i think that's something that benitez could take full advantage of here and not to mention onama like i said his his level of competition on the regional scene is very sketchy once he starts striking with a guy like benitez i think he's going to really start to learn that okay there's levels to this shit and sure he could clip benitez trust me he has power i don't want to say he does not power he has power that he could potentially land on benitez and get him out of there but outside of that i think benitez will be the one having more success here landing the body kick landing the inside leg kick and his straight down the middle is absolute money as well. So if Onama wants to overextend and throw a little bit too much here, I think Benitez will be able to counter effectively and land some good shots. Another angle that Benitez could take is possibly grappling Onama here, right? Onama's takedown defense, on even on the regional scene, is not a good look. But Benitez has only ever shot two takedowns in his 11 UFC fights, one of those being a slime KO of uh, Humberto Bandanai, who had a pretty tight arm bar on him in that situation. Benitez slams him, knocks him out, and gets the win there. That's the only takedown he's ever completed, <laughs> which is hilarious. So I'm not going to bank on him going out there and take a grapple-heavy approach here against Onama, but even in a striking battle, I think Benitez could do work here. He's the more proven fighter. Uh, he's gone up against way tougher competition. And yes, Onama has that KO possibility. But if he doesn't KO him here, I think Benitez will do absolute work. Maybe even finish Onama himself. and then uh, Or go on to win a decision victory. And as my guy Goran is saying here, he rocks so deep. Exactly. Had tremendous success in that fight as well. So I will likely wait on this line. I want to see if uh, more Onama, Onama love starts to come in. Again, people overvaluing his performance against Mason Jones, which was great. Again, short notice. He did what he needed to do to go out there and, and try to find success. I don't want to take that away from him. But we need to find a, a, uh, show the difference between a guy who has a 46% striking defense rate of Mason Jones and somebody who has a 65% striking range, uh, striking defense rate in Gabriel Benitez. And we'll see that this week, in my opinion. So Benitez is going to be my play here. Uh, sorry, likely my dog of the night play, but definitely uh, my pick for this podcast as well. I'm going to go Gabriel Benitez via decision. Or a KO. Let's see. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next fight here. I can feel my voice just escaping me, and I apologize for anybody that this sounds like complete shit to, but 
I will get through this as best as I can. The Parker Porter and Alan Baudo fight is just around the corner, so I'll be able to let my voice breathe for a couple minutes before I get back and finish off the podcast. But next fight up, we got Mario Bautista going up against short notice Jay Perron. Uh, I just want to see if they added the Perron odds to best fight odds. They have not. I'm expecting to see heavy chalk on the Bautista side, honestly. So Perrin, uh, very excruciating to watch his tape, man, uh, especially some of his earlier fights, uh, the Ken Moy fights. Um, I can't recall the fight before that, but a lot of his fights on cage Titans was just him pushing his opponents up against the cage, not having too much success there, like success in terms of control, but not much damage success. And unfortunately, excuse me, for his opponents, they weren't able to get out of those positions. Johnny Campbell was the fight before the Ken Moy fight. But... For four and five rounds, he's just able to push these guys up against the cage without much resistance and get away with wins like that. Then we saw him come onto the contender series, and I thought he deserved to win that fight. You know, he was having some good grappling success against the guy in uh, Joseph. I can't remember the guy's first name, but uh, Joseph was was starting to slow down as the fight went on. And I thought Perrin was starting to get better as the fight went on. Unfortunately for him, he was not able to get the win that night. He does obviously bounce back uh, in, in a fight against Diego Silva for Cage Titans as well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in a fight that I thought he got gifted a decision. I thought Diego Silva easily won that fight. If you guys go to the YouTube comment section for that fight, you see a ton of outrage in the comment section saying Diego Silva won that fight. I absolutely agree. Absolute hometown cooking. After that fight, though, he leaves Boston goes over to syndicate mma he has one fight on the uh the regional scene there i believe it was for ces and he uh he gets his hand raised there after getting a second round submission over josh smith uh a guy who 10 and 6 didn't seem like the greatest opponent perrin was able to get his grappling going so it's pretty simple bautista wants to give the fight in the feet use the striking uses range Perrin wants to get this fight to the ground, uses uh, strength, and try to uh, grapple and, and grind out Mario Bautista. Now, Perrin, even though he's taking this fight on short notice, he was actually scheduled uh, for a fight two weeks later. So it's not like he's just getting off the couch and half-assing this fight. Uh, he's actually in training camp already. The only difference is, is that he has to speed up his weight cut now. He has to uh, cut weight two weeks earlier than he was expecting to do. How that will affect him in the fight, who knows? We'll find out. But I don't know how much success Perrin's actually going to have trying to grab a Bautista into the ground here. Bautista has some decent knees in the clinch, and not to mention the size advantage he'll have in this fight and that knee up the middle anytime Perrin wants to kind of close the distance and either get a strike off or try to change levels. I think he's going to be eating that knee all day. I think Bautista will do a good job in terms of keeping him on the outside and really butchering him from that spot and having success uh, from the outside. Uh, I do think that Bautista will more than likely finish him here as well. I think his striking is much better than what Perrin brings to the table. And uh, Bautista was originally getting ready for a power puncher in Kali Taha, who had a little bit of a wrestling background as well. But I think that this is a much easier matchup for him to go out there and do some work. I know Bautista's coming off and uh, KO lost Trevin Jones last time around. I don't know if Perrin has that knockout power that he really needs to worry too much about. But as long as he's not slacking too much here, he should be able to get off on his strikes and eventually find a finish of Perron probably in the second or third round. So I do like, <clears throat> I do like, uh, I like um, Bautista here. But 
I'm expecting him to be heavy chalk in this situation. Minus 200, I'd consider Bautista, but I'm expecting he's uh, much, much, <clears throat> much, much more, uh, going to be much more chalk in this spot. Sorry, some of the comment sections are are uh, throwing me off here. I appreciate everybody that's chilling in the chat. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next fight. Again, I got Bautista. I think Bautista finishes him. I'm expecting him to be chalk. We'll see what the line drops at once it does drop. All right. <clears throat> next fight here, Jonathan Pierce, minus 335, going up against short notice. Christian Rodriguez coming in at plus 260. Rodriguez coming off uh, a regional win, but before that, he was actually on the contender series in a fight where he unfortunately missed weight by two pounds. And even though he came out on the winning end against Reyes Cortez, Tracy Cortez's brother, uh, he was not eligible to get a contract that night. Uh, and uh, he was forced to take one more fight. And now he gets his short notice call to the UFC. And the kid looks like he has some potential. He looks like he has uh, solid um, striking, uh, decent takedown defense, uh, and a very promising game out of Rufus Sport. But I think that... Um, I do think that Pierce will likely be able to get that grappling off, which is what I think he needs to do here to have success. I think a part of the reason why Pierce accepted the short notice fight was because their training camp is the same training camp as uh, Reyes Cortez. So they already have a bit of a blueprint on Christian Rodriguez. And I think that, um, and I think that uh, Pierce will be able to be successful in terms of what Reyes Cortez was not successful with. And that's getting Rodriguez to the ground. If this fight is in the striking realm, I think the, five-inch height advantage that Pierce is going to have here will make it difficult for Rodriguez to close the distance and get his striking going because it opens up countering opportunities for Pierce, whether it's with striking or with grappling. But I think at a certain point, Pierce is going to get that grappling going, and I think the size is just going to be too much for him to handle here. I do like Pierce. I do like him inside the distance, which I currently think is sitting as round plus 115. Um, and I do think... Uh, that Pierce goes out there and absolutely messes up Rodriguez. Uh, again, Rodriguez taking this on short notice and up a weight class, not a good look for him, but I do think he will turn out to be a solid prospect in the UFC once he's able to go back down to 135 pounds and uh, should start to do work, good work from there. He throws in good combinations. Once he starts to get into a flow state, it's very difficult for his opponents to really get back into the game, but I think he's going to struggle here with the size and the grappling that Pierce brings to the table. I will say this lastly, though. Uh, I, I kind of wrote off Pierce after getting finished by Joe Lozon in his UFC debut, but he has come back and stormed back in his next two fights by finishing Kai Kamaka and uh, Omar Morales last time around. I think he keeps those finishing things away. Uh, sorry, he, he keeps those finishing uh, uh, ways going here by finishing... Uh, Christian Rodriguez. I'm not putting all my eggs in the Pierce inside the distance basket here, but I do think he he finishes Rodriguez. And will I parlay Pierce with something else later this week? Maybe. I may be. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We will move on to Joaquin Buckley going up against the dual Razak Al-Hassan. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 145 for Buckley, plus 125 the return on Al-Hassan. 
Now, this fight could be really fun that either ends within seven and a half minutes or both of these guys, actually three scenarios. It either ends under one and a half or both of these guys respect each other too much and we get a staring contest for 15 minutes or Joaquin Buckley has recently aligned himself with Extreme Couture and I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Nixick and those guys try to drop a plan to try to go out there and get D1 Buckley into the cage and try to wrestle Al-Hassan into the ground, something that Jacob Malkoon was successful with in doing last time around. Again, this is, I believe, the third fight now for Al-Hassan up at 185 pounds. And although Buckley is not a big 185-pounder himself, it seems like he should have the strength advantage here if he looks to take this fight into the grappling realm. I don't think he'll have as much success as Malkoon in terms of controlling Al-Hassan on the ground, but it should make things interesting in terms of wearing on Al-Hassan and really trying to take away that knockout power of Al-Hassan. Um, I do think Buckley will get the better of the striking exchanges. I do like his power striking, uh, but I think that Al-Hassan, we've kind of come to know what he's all about, right? First round knockout or more than likely bust. And I think that this is going to be one of those scenarios where Buckley's combinations and some possible grappling could push this into the second and third rounds, ultimately allowing him to go out there and win this fight via decision. I get it. Everybody wants to see these guys go out there and throw big bombs because that's what they normally do well. But when you have two guys that throw bombs like these guys do, I could see this being a little bit more stalemate-ish, but Buckley having a little bit better of a game overall. I apologize, but my voice is really struggling to get through this, but I will get through it for you guys. <clears throat> so, Aline Buckley, don't really like the money line. I'm considering taking a little bit of a sprinkle on his decision line at plus 390, as I do think that if he's able to survive that Al-Hassan power early, he could start to take over this fight later in the fight. Possible live betting opportunity as well for Buckley after round one, as Al-Hassan will likely have his most success in round one. The last thing I'll say about this matchup, I believe this is now the second training camp that Al-Hassan is going to have at Team Elevation over there in Denver, Colorado. So, curious to see if uh, they've employed anything new into this guy's game, and we'll see how that goes down. So yeah, let's go Buckley, Buckley via decision, but I, I, I don't have uber confidence on that spot. Plus 390 on that decision, though, not too bad. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. <clears throat> we got Jim A. Ten Miller going up against uh, Carlos Mota. Sorry, Nicholas Mota. Carlos Mota is the LFA flyweight that just recently lost. Uh, Nicholas Mota minus one eighty, plus one fifty five. The return on Jim Miller. Now, interestingly enough, this was closer to a pick'em the first time they were scheduled to fight each other, and. Uh, there, the only difference is that Miller has fought a guy in Eric Gonzalez who hurt uh, Miller early in their fight. But as soon as Miller was hurt, he was able to shoot a takedown, land the takedown, and then clear the cobwebs and eventually get the knockout of his own in the second round. Miller, even though he's getting up there in age and has the record, I believe, for the most UFC fights in UFC history, the guy still seems to be uh, uh, causing trouble for some of these up-and-comers that are trying to break into the UFC. Mota obviously won on the Dana White Contender Series in a fight where he only landed 44 strikes, but 
Um, 42 of those were to the head. The guy was just headhunting in that fight, trying to knock out his opponent, Joseph Lowry, I believe the guy's name was. He was unable to do so, but he battered him enough that he was able to get the decision victory and ultimately a contract. He's mainly a striker, likes to go out there throwing combinations, try to knock his opponent out. The grappling is where he starts to struggle. It looks like he is improving that, though, um, since he lost on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, where Glyco Franca was able to uh, ground him in the second round and eventually finish him via submission. Mota has been grappled in, in plenty of other fights in the past, but he's been able to uh, come out unscathed and ultimately find victories of his own. Miller, though, could they make things interesting if he's able to get this fight to the ground, as I do believe he's one of the better wrestlers that Mota has gone up against in his last couple fights, and that could cause Mota some problems on the ground. The spot that I like here the most is actually the under two and a half, as I do think that Mota has the knockout power to put Jim Miller out, or Jim Miller has the BJJ to eventually put Mota into bad positions and possibly get him out of there. So either the fight doesn't go to decision or under two and a half, I think is a damn good spot. Moda via KO at plus 215, decent. And even Jim Miller by sub at plus 350, not a bad spot either. I am ultimately picking Mota to win this fight as I do think his superior striking will allow him to find that chin of Miller and eventually put him out. But I only have him around 55%, making me believe that the minus 180 is just not worth the stab at this point. I'd rather take the violence bet and pray that one of these guys ends up getting the finish. But as an official prediction, I'm going to be going with Nic uh, Nicholas Mota, and I think he knocks him out. Let's call it second round TKO. All right. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next fight here. And luckily, it is Alan Baudo versus Parker Porter, where I already have the breakdown queued up for you guys as I did the breakdown for it last week. I'm going to let my uh, my voice breathe for a little bit and let you guys watch the breakdown that I did as a pre-recording. Enjoy. Parker Porter versus Alan Baudo. We got minus 250 on Parker and plus 200 the return on Baudo. Now, who would have thought we'd saw we'd see a day where Parker Porter is minus two fifty? But here we are, and it's completely understandable considering he's going up against Alan Baudo, who, in my opinion, is a step down from the last two uh, last two fights that Parker Porter was able to get his hand raised in. Now Porter came into the UFC on short notice, two weeks' notice to be exact, and apparently he had to cut almost thirty pounds of weight to make weight uh, for that two hundred sixty-five pound limit. Again, given the short notice nature of that fight, and I do think that had to do. Uh, or played a part in him getting knocked out. Although Chris Dawkins, very good striker, fast with his hands, and eventually that knockout was probably going to come anyway. But now we see him training a little bit more, way more regularly, not having to cut a tremendous amount of weight to get to that heavyweight limit. And it's obviously showing in his last two fights where he's able to pick up wins over Josh Parisian as a big underdog, and then obviously against Chase Sherman as a slight underdog in that fight. I had the pleasure of being at Parker Porter's last fight, and I'm sure if you guys listen closely enough, you guys probably would be able to hear me cheering for him, as I did obviously have a bet on him that night, uh, but he showed a great MMA skill set that night. Great striking, good takedowns, good top control, and his durability really showed off in that fight, as Chase Sherman did land some good shots in that, uh, that fight as well. 
He's going to eat some shot, shots here from Baudo as well. Baudo is a striker, obviously, out of France and that MMA factory gym. Uh, but uh, he doesn't really show much else than that, right? It's been shown over and over now that you can take him down and really have your way with him. Uh, although he did have a really good first round against Rodrigo Nascimento last time, where he did hit him with some big shots, have him on wobbly legs, but... It seemed as soon as that second round started, he came out flat-footed and he paid for it and we saw Nascimento get him out of there. Tom Aspinall takes him down right into full mount and then starches him in his UFC debut. And I'll say this, his fight that or his win that got him into the UFC was actually a loss. If you guys look into it, and actually I believe the footage is on Fight Pass, he gets choked out in that fight. Unfortunately, Todd Stout tests positive for marijuana after the fight, and the Quebec Commission, no idea what they're smoking, but not only do they overturn the fight, they label it as a win for uh, Alain Baudot last night, that, in that fight, which is absolutely egregious. I don't understand it. Todd does not deserve that loss on his record, but... What happened in that fight was even more eye-opening. Todd Stout's more of a, a striker. He wants to go out there and take your head off. His nickname is the Black Hulk, for God's sakes, right? That's his striking, or his style, knockouts. But in that fight, he looked to take the fight to the ground, which he did with ease. And then he eventually got his first ever submission victory with ease. And I'm expecting the same thing here with Parker Porter. If he's able to survive the early onslaught from Alan Baudot, because we have to give him a little bit of respect, right? He is a decent striker with some good power. Again, he's up at heavyweight, so it could absolutely happen. But if Porter is able to survive that early onslaught, he should be able to get takedowns eventually. And I think from there, he should be able to get a submission as well. Uh, he has a couple of submission victories on his record, and I do think he'll be able to get another one here against Alan Baudo. He's even talked about it in a couple interviews where he's expecting to get his first ever UFC finish, and once you run the tape, it makes absolute sense. So a part of me is hoping that they're setting the over-under at 2.5, but I think that the odds makers are going to be wise to it, and they'll probably set it at 1.5, but that fight doesn't go to decision was will probably be minus 500 or minus 400 or something like that but i'd be happy to throw it on into multiple parlays because i know the porter will more than likely get a finish in this fight he will absolutely be able to get this fight to the ground should it reach round two and then from there he should be able to find a finish whether it's a key lock a rear naked choke arm triangle choke whatever it may be he will be able to find that finish on the ground or even a, a ground and pound right so maybe not get too greedy by just taking the sub prop maybe taking the inside the distance wouldn't be too bad of an idea but i'll definitely be springing that sprinkling that submission prop if it's at a good number so um yeah if you can't tell already, I love me some Parker Porter in this spot. I think he's absolutely justifiable at this minus 250 line, but that first round is going to be a little bit iffy uh, as Baudo could potentially land a big shot. So maybe a round one Baudo hedge, considering he's a plus 200 underdog, that round one might look like plus 400 or plus 500. Not too bad of a line to hedge on if you feel you're too deep on the Parker Porter side, but I like Porter here. We're going with Parker Porter, and I'll take him to win this fight by second round submission. There you guys have it. Parker Porter submission, but the spot that I like the most is the fight doesn't go to decision, uh, and I'll likely be parlaying that with something else on this card uh, just to take advantage of that. And even Porter by sub, which I believe they've released a line for now. Um, Porter by sub plus 600. Not bad. Might have to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that. Considering um, by strikers back in the day, and I think that Porter could do that as well. Maybe in uh, his patented Kimura or Americana, who knows what comes through. All right, let's move on to the co main event here. Who would have thought 
Jamie Pickett plus to 10 finds himself in a co-main event slot. But here we are taking on a short notice fight to uh, take on Kyle Dawkins. Uh, Pickett fresh off of his win over Joseph Holmes back in January. Luckily for him, didn't take too much damage in that fight, and he was able to take this short notice spot against Kyle Dawkins. Unfortunately, this two-fight winning streak for Jamie Pickett is going to come to a screeching halt uh, as I believe Kyle Dawkins is perfectly lined here, maybe even uh, not wide enough, honestly. Dawkins, much better grappler, BJJ black belt. His striking is improving. He'll be the stronger of the two, I think, especially in those clinch positions. But I don't think there's much stopping him from getting the takedowns if he needs it here. And then from on top, I trust his jiu-jitsu should be able to control Pickett on the ground. Will he be able to get a sub? Not 100% sure. Uh, again, method of victory still up in the air for me on the Dawkins side of things. But I still think that Dawkins gets his hands hand raised here. Pickett, when he does good enough work, it's being able to strike from distance and get some decent success in the clinch work, or he can beat up on unproven guys like Joseph Holmes. And I think, uh, again, that run is is coming to a halt here in a guy in Dawkins who, you know, I, I did lose a little bit of respect for in terms of losing the, the Phil Hawes fight the way that he did, but I think he's able to get that shit back here and uh, and beat a guy in, in, in Jamie Pickett who... You know, fringe top 30, top 40 guy. Dawkins, I think, will eventually crack that top 15, but will likely always be that top 15 to top 13 guy. I like Dawkins here. Uh, like I said, I don't, I'm not 100% sold on him getting the finish, but I still think he gets his hand raised by outworking Pickett here, pushing him up against the cage, landing takedowns, and just outworking him in pretty much every aspect of this fight. Uh, I, I, last thing I'll say about this fight, I do remember seeing somebody. Um, somebody's saying that if if you gave me Cheeto Vera's soul and put it into Jamie Pickett's body, he could be something. He could absolutely be something. But the guy just has a weird aura about him, a weird fighting style that he just doesn't use his physical gifts to the best of its abilities. And he just fights, you know, the way that he fights, which is not the greatest. So I'm going Dawkins. I'm going to say decision. Uh, but parlay piece, probably. All right, let's move on to the main event here. Shout out to the 80 live viewers that we have at 1 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe before you guys hop on out of here. And uh, we'll get into the main event, which short notice five rounder, Johnny Walker plus 200 minus 250 to return on Jamal Hill. As you guys know, Rafael Fiziev and Rafael Dos Anjos uh, has been pushed to UFC 272 as the co-main event fight. Still a five-rounder, which I'm com completely down with. Uh, but do we really need five rounds for this one? Then again, that's what I said for Walker Santos. And a bunch of my par degenerate parlays came to a crashing halt uh, as they stared at each other for 25 minutes. Although there, there were some spots where, uh, you know, they're throwing strikes and all that and some close calls in terms of possible fight-ending uh, strikes, but nothing to the point that uh, ultimately ended the fight. So Walker, or SBG Walker, as we want to call him now, uh, seems to be a little muzzled by John Kavanaugh, right? We don't really see the crazy striking style of him anymore. We see him kind of using his kicks a lot to kind of gauge his his uh, his range and then stretch to open up with a little bit of striking. But still, it seems more muzzled than we're used to seeing from him. Jamal Hill, um, you know, probably one of my more 
egregious calls in his last fight against Jimmy Crute. Now, I did embed Jimmy Crute, but I absolutely wrote off Jamal Hill after he got submitted by Paul Craig, just as a lot of people did, which is why Jimmy Crute was the uh, the favorite that night. You know, Jamal Hill was my locker, and I play against Paul Craig, and he goes out there and gets his arm snapped, and all of a sudden I just completely forget the reason why I bet him against Paul Craig because those exact reasons were justifiable in the Jimmy Crute fight, and they played out. He was patient, waited for his opportunity, and found that sniper shot to put Jimmy Crute down. And that's exactly what could happen here against Johnny Walker. But we can't overlook the power that Walker brings to the table, not to mention some of the leg kicks that he can really start to stifle the movement and durability of Hill with. But I still think at a certain point, Hill's going to find that sniper shot. He's going to find that chin of Walker, which is very shaky, very, very shaky, very sus suspect. And I think that Hill has that sniper power to put him down here. So a couple ways uh, to play this. I want to actually shout out my guy Z, who uh, sniped these lines pretty well. Uh, I believe he released these plays a couple hours ago and brought them to my attention as well. Uh, Hail round one, round two. I think those are solid spots. I think those are in the plus. Uh, you know what? Let me just pull it up. I just don't want to guess here. Hail round one, plus 300. Hail round two, plus 500. I, I think those are the spots. Walker could absolutely find the knockout himself. I'd be surprised if this fight goes the full 25 minutes as well. Because I think the reason the other one went the full 25 minutes, Walker obviously muzzled version of himself. But Tiago Santos can be disciplined when he needs to. And that's something we've been seeing a lot from him, especially since his win over Jan Blachowicz. Since then, we've seen him very disciplined. He's been going the distance in some of his fights. But Jamal Hill strikes me as the guy that's not going to play it that safe. Like He will go out there and try to find the knockout. He's not going to play it safe to the extent of trying to go 25 minutes against a guy like Johnny Walker. So um, I like I like Hill. Not paying the juice on him. Those props that I laid out, I don't really mind that. Uh, like I said, plus 300, plus 500 for round one and round two for Jamal Hill. I think eventually finds that knockout blow and it gets Johnny Walker out of there. There you guys have it. UFC Vegas 48. Again, apologize for the less of the glitz and glamour of the of the graphics and all that stuff, doing this shit on the live. But I am absolutely getting down to work on UFC Vegas 49 starting tomorrow. Those breakdowns are going to start to drop on the Patreon, the, the video breakdowns, and then you guys will get the full podcast on Monday of Fight Week. But that's what the Patreon is for, for anybody that wants to support your boy a little more. Five bucks a month again, not just for the picks. The picks have been shit this year, at least in terms of official bets. But it's for the early breakdowns. It's for the best bets and props article. It's for the Discord community. It's for the prize picks tips. It's for all the other shit, all the other endless amounts of work that I put into the Patreon. Again, five bucks a month, not too much to ask there. For anybody that wants to support your boy a little extra, appreciate the love there. Otherwise, I appreciate the super chats. I appreciate the subs. I appreciate the likes. I appreciate everything that you guys do for your boy to allow me to do this thing full time. All right. Now to finally give my voice a rest. Want to do the, the last shout out to Coolbet here. Coolbet use promo code MMALOTN2. They will match your uh, initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Again, it's the number two, MMALOTN2. You can parlay props. Great odds on there. One of my favorite bookies to use. One of the three active bookies that I use. Pinnacle, Coolbet, and Bookmaker. Coolbet usually gets a lot of my degenerate action, as it should for you guys as well. Um, lastly, 
more than likely won't have a lock than I play on this card. Nothing I feel uber confident about, but I will start to draw plays tomorrow and maybe wait on a couple uh, depending on live, line movement and all that stuff. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate the midnight love here. But my voice is dead. I got to get out of here. Hit that like and subscribe on the way out. I'll be back tomorrow, actually, Wednesday, uh, for a deadlock podcast with my guy Clint. Pretty much just a news show. We got a lot of great um, uh, segments and stuff there where we just to talk a bunch of shit. So if you guys want to swing by for that 7 p.m. Eastern Thursday, propping you up, which will likely be around noon Eastern with my guy John Stargarian. Friday, Ultimate Wayne Show. I'm bringing back my guy Brandon Olivas. Uh, uh, he's the guy that does the show with Santino DeFranco. Love my guy Brandon. He's already coming on on Friday. Uh, and then Saturday, Fight Day Live Chat, 1 p.m. Eastern. Oh, yeah. Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, IG Live as well. If you guys don't follow me on IG, make sure you guys follow me over there so I can talk to you guys and you guys can tell me what your favorite bets are for the upcoming card. 7 p.m. Eastern is your opportunity to do so. All right. Love you guys. Let's fucking go. I'll see you guys throughout the week.